Well, hey, good morning, Harvest. How are we doing? Good. Hey, can we thank John and Val for being with us this morning and our worship team for leading us in worship? So glad to have them with us. And uh, just a reminder, tonight at 7, um, there is a concert here with John and Val that um, is just going to be amazing. And um, I've known John and Val for a dozen years now, which makes me feel old, but uh, they've been a massive blessing in my life and their music has been a blessing to our church. So here's, I'm going to just lay this out as simply as I can. If you've already made other plans tonight, you've made the wrong plans. And you need to change those plans and come to the concert. It's going to be a great night of of worship. And um, doors open at 6.30. It's first come, first serve. But you definitely are not going to want to miss it. Um, If you need your Bible, or if you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew 12. And if you need a Bible, we have ushers coming down the aisle right now who would love to get a copy of God's Word to you. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll get one to you. If you don't own a Bible, keep it as our gift to you. And I'm just so pumped that you're here with us this morning. If you're new here, my name is Cal. I'm one of the pastors here at Harvest, and I'm so excited that you're worshiping with us this morning. And if you've been with us this summer, you know that we are uh, wrapping up a series in the next couple weeks that's called Just What I Needed. And what we've done is we've had different pastors come and share kind of, hey, this is a passage of God's word that is something that I needed in this season. And we've had pastors both in our church and outside of our church come in and speak. And who was here last week to hear Pastor Doug? Wasn't that a great time uh, with Doug? And I just thought that was an amazing word from him out of Romans. And um, as I've been preparing for this message, what the Lord really placed on my heart is, hey, Cal, let's not talk about what you needed this morning, but what do we need as a church? So if you are part of the Harvest family, um, this is going to feel like a family chat. And my um, heart has really, really dug in on kind of this one word over the summer, and that word is family. How do we as a church be a better, closer family? And did you know that we are almost at our one-year anniversary of launching the Grand Haven campus? That's going to, just like a couple weeks, there'll be one year of the Grand Haven campus. How many of you guys have been there? All right, so most of you have been there to at least check it out, and um, that's just been an amazing thing for our church, but it's been a year of huge transition for us, and really taking our church and multiply, or dividing it up and splitting it in half in two different buildings, in two different communities, it's been a massive transition for us. Um, it's been a massive transition for you. Like, think about it. You are part of the same church as people right now who are in a different building, in a different city, in Grand Haven, and it's like, so you'll be driving down the street and you'll see a Harvest bumper sticker, and you're like, oh, I know those people, and you'll be like, I've never seen them before in my life, and you know why? It's because you've never seen them before in your life, and it's now possible to be a part of the same church as someone and never be in the same building with them for an entire year. Right? That's a different feel. It's, it's been a transition for us. It's been a transition for our staff. Um, I used to hang out with Dan Cook in the office every day, and as soon as I got the opportunity, I shipped him down to the Grand Haven campus, and it's been amazing. Everything's been perfect since then. Um, No, I'm just kidding, sort of. But really, like, we've had to wrestle with, now that we have staff at both campuses, how do we stay on the same page, and how do we communicate better, and how do we make sure that we are all pulling the rope the same direction? It's been a transition for our staff, and it's been a transition for myself, and I can speak for my dad for him as well, and here's why. 
Because think about it, when we were all at one location, even on the weeks that I wasn't preaching, I was here and I was with you and I'd run into you guys in the hallways and I'd see you at church, but now it feels like I'm only here half the time because I'm only here half the time. So I don't get to see everyone every week, but I'm at uh, Grand Haven half the time, I'm here half the time, so I will be like, oh hey Clint, nice to see you, it's been a couple months, right? I didn't know if you are still coming to the church because I'm just at different places and it's been a year of transition. And so what we've been working really, really hard on is how does harvest be a family? Because God's word is clear that we are a family. And what we're going to see today in God's word is Jesus is going to place a huge emphasis on what does it mean to commit yourself to a family of faith. I don't want harvest just to be a service you attend or a place you come to worship, um, but this needs to be a family. So we're going to look at what Jesus has to say about that this morning. So if you have your Bibles, again, Matthew 12, Uh, Starting at verse 46, I'm going to read through verse 50, and you can follow along. And just to set up some context as you're turning there, Jesus is in the middle of doing his ministry. So he is waking up in the morning, he is going into a village, he is healing people in the morning and casting out demons and raising people from the dead, and then he is teaching all day, and he's talking about how he is the Messiah, and he's talking about the kingdom of God, and and how um, really peace and love and hope has come to earth through him. And he's in the middle of this ministry. He is super busy going from village to village, preaching the gospel. And this is where we pick it up in Matthew 12. It says this. It says, while he was still speaking to the people. So he's doing what he always does. He's preaching to a group of people. Behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hands towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. All right, so there's this very strange thing that happens. Um, Apparently, Jesus' mom and his brothers, they need him. And there's some sort of family crisis going on, and it's so important that they even want to interrupt him in the middle of his teaching. Like, if I was preaching right now and my mom came, hey, Cal, I really need to get a hold of you. Like, it had to be pretty important to interrupt what was going on right here. But it was important enough for his mom and brothers to be like, hey, we need to speak to Jesus. So some guy goes into the house and, and tells him, hey, your mom and brothers outside, they want to talk to you. And Jesus says, who is my mom and, and who are my brothers? Like, if I ever played that card with my mom, it wouldn't end well for me. I probably wouldn't be alive to be here next weekend with you. But, but he does this thing that would have shocked the people in the room. Who's my mom? Who are my brothers? And then he reaches out his hands to his disciples and he says, whoever does the will of my father, you are my mother and my brother and my sisters. And what Jesus is doing is he is using strong language to emphasize how important the church family is. He is using language that would ratchet up the urgency and the intensity to a 10 out of 10. This is how important this family is. So here's the big idea. Here's where we're going. In Jesus Christ, I have an identity that is greater than my last name, and I have a family that is closer than family. I have an identity that is greater than my last name and a family that is closer than family Our salvation is not just an individual, just between you and God thing, but you have been called to give your life to the family of faith. All right, now I can feel a little bit of tension in the room right now, and I got some mama bears giving me the stink eye, being like, are you really trying to de-emphasize my family, boy? 
Is that what you're trying to say? Are you trying to say my family's not that important? Are you saying Jesus says not to care about your family? Well, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. And let me ease the tension a little bit. Listen, Jesus loved and cared deeply for his family. Did you know that while Jesus was on the cross breathing his last breaths, one of the last things he did was he took care of his mom? And he took John, who was in the crowd, and he says, John, this is your mother now. And he told his mom, this is your son, and he's going to watch out for you. He's going to take care of you. He's going to provide for you. You know that Jesus' brothers were some of the earliest leaders in the church and that his brother James would actually be killed um, for following and loving Jesus and leading the church? Jesus loved his family. And God is the creator of family, right? In Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth and he placed man in the garden and he said, it is not good that man should be alone. And he created a spouse for Adam and he said, be fruitful and multiply. Go make a family. God designed family. He authored family. And isn't really the entire Old Testament the story about Abraham and his family and his kids and what God did through them? The whole Old Testament is about family. God loves family. He created family. But you need to hear this. Jesus is making the point the most important thing about you is not your last name. It's who is your king. And there is an identity that is greater than our last name. And for some of us in the room, that's a relief, right? Like maybe you're part of a family that is full of overachievers, right? And, and mom's a doctor and dad's a lawyer and your brother went on a full-ride scholarship to state for football and your sister is out east being a, a musician and you're like, man, am I even part of this family? Did the doctors make a mistake, Right? You feel like you're the ugly duckling and you can't live up to your family's expectations. For some of us, our last name can be a burden that we have to live up to. For other of us, it's the opposite. Where it's like, man, my last name carries a negative connotation in the community. You guys know what it's like in a small town, right? I had a friend uh, growing up in school who, um, I had a bunch of friends like this actually, who they had older siblings that, that were in the school before them. And so the teacher, by the time they get to my friends, they've already had three, four, five of their siblings. And it's like there's already a preformed reputation that the kid has because of his siblings. So it's like, hey, you're so-and-so. Oh, no, it's going to be a long year. Or, hey, your last name is so-and-so. Oh, good, you better get all A's, right? And it's like, man, your last name can, can give you a preformed reputation. Jesus' saying is that the most thing about, important thing about you is who is your king? And if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, then you have a family that is closer than family. So I want to talk about what's obvious first from this text, a present reality is that we are a family. And we need to understand this and believe this, that the people sitting next to you are not strangers. They're not just people who attend the same church, but we are called to be a family. Did you know that the Bible is one of the most argued about and debated books in world history? I was in my car uh, just a couple days ago, and I had sports radio on. I was trying to catch up on uh, just some scores and listen to some baseball, and, and the radio DJ out of nowhere just went off on the Bible. And he's like, I'm sick of people saying that they have to live their life a certain way because some 2,000-year-old made-up book tells them to. It's made up. It's not true. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. And I'm like, cool it, bro. Like, you're a sports radio DJ. Like, I'm... Tell me the score of the White Sox game. That's all I want from you right now. <laughs> right? We would believe that God's word are the very words of life. 
And we get to know God and we get to know Jesus because God has miraculously protected and kept his word so that we might know our creator. For millions and millions of people, God's word is the most precious thing to them that they own. Right? And then there's a lot of people who live somewhere in between where it's like the parts of the Bible that I like, I'll accept. The parts that I don't, I'm not going to accept. And they live a very confused life. I would argue that what you believe about the Bible that's in front of you will shape your life more than anything else will. And even we as Christians, we argue about the Bible all the time, right? Like if Christians are good at anything, it's arguing about the Bible. How do you do baptism? How should worship go? What should church structure and government be? What are the gifts of the Holy Spirit? How, how do you do communion? What's going to happen at end times? You want to unleash a whole world of crazy, go to some end times blogs, right? We love to argue about theology. But you want to know what nobody argues about? No matter what denomination or what church you're a part of, no one would argue that the church is a family. Because the Bible is so obvious and so crystal clear, you cannot read the Bible and walk away with any other idea than the fact that we are to be a family. The church is referred to as the bride of Christ. And it says when Christ returns and when sin and death and Satan is defeated, you know what's going to happen? We're going to have a bridal or wedding feast, a wedding party. It's going to be like at a reception after a wedding where it's like the bride and the groom, they're together again. Let's celebrate. It's over. Sin and death is defeated. Let's celebrate. But it's referred to in the terms of family. Paul, almost exclusively, when he talks about other Christians, he talks about brothers and sisters in Christ. We are a family. And by the way, I just want to say for a minute, um, there are so many people in our church who love their church family so well. You guys don't get to, to see all of this, but you would be amazed at how many times we will get emails from people who just want to care and love for their church family. It'll be emails like, hey, I just bought a new car, and, and I have a car that, that it's, it works, it runs, and I don't necessarily want to sell it, but I'd love to give it to someone in the church if they need a ride. Or, or hey, um, I've got a, a, an apartment that, that if someone needs to, to stay for a while, I'll let them stay for free. Or there's someone that can even move in with me if, if they're on hard times. We see this all the time. Uh, when I was writing this message, I had a lady um, email me the very same day I was writing this message, and, and there was a big soccer game out in Ann Arbor. And a couple teams from Europe had come to the States to play an exhibition match. The game was sold out. Tickets were hard to get. And she was like, hey, Cal, I've got two tickets that have amazing seats for this game, but we just had a family crisis, and we can't use the tickets anymore. Is there someone in the church that would be blessed by going to this game? Like, what a cool thing. And, and I love that because it's people getting that, man, this is a family, that it's a blessing to serve and to be kind to. And listen, I get that in a church of our size, there's no way to know all of the people in your section, let alone at this service, let alone at this campus, let alone on this weekend. So what does it mean for us to be a family? And what I want to do is I want to talk about three implications being a family means for our church, and then three implications that being a church family means for your family, for your home, because I think it hits on both sides of the coin. So let's talk about our church first. What does it mean that we're a family? And this one's so important. Because we are the family of God, that means that we all have a home that isn't broken. We all have a home that isn't broken. In Psalm 27, David writes this. I love this. He says, Hide not your face from me. 
Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. Listen to this. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. So David is writing this in a season where he feels like everyone has left him. But he says, God, you will never leave me. You will never forsake me. You will never abandon me. And because we have a heavenly father who is faithful and who is perfect and who is with us. I love what John said in the song, right? That God longs for us to know that he is near. Because we have a perfect heavenly father, that means we have a family that isn't broken. Now listen. I understand that many of us, when we think of family, all we know or all we can think of is brokenness. We have a crisis of fatherlessness here in America. I read a stat a couple months ago that just knocked me off my feet. Do you know that there's a greater percentage of Americans today growing up without fathers than there was during the world wars when all the men were overseas fighting? Isn't that amazing? That there's a higher percentage of kids growing up without dads now than there were when all of the men were gone at war. And maybe you're here and you never knew your mom or your dad. And so when you think of a, of a father who is good, you're like, I never knew that. And, and, and I don't know if, if I can really believe that, that there's a father who's going to stay around. Maybe when you were young, your parents' marriage blew up and, and you're still figuring that out and getting over that, but that shaped your life in powerful ways. Or maybe you're here and your folks were together, but home wasn't a safe place. And maybe it was loud and maybe it was angry and maybe you're like, man, I tried to get away from my family as soon as I could. Now you're telling me I'm part of a new family? I don't know if I'm cool with that, Cal. Maybe you're here and you're divorced or you're single and you're lonely and you're like this idea of family. There is just sadness around that from what was lost or what you've never had. And the idea of family is just heartbreaking. No matter the home you came from, no matter what your family dynamics are like right now, maybe your family's in crisis. And maybe we don't even know about it yet, but it's true. And you're like, how are we going to get through the next week, let alone the next year? No matter what your dynamics are like right now, because you're part of the family of God, you're part of a home that isn't broken. In Ephesians 1, 3 through 5, Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, look at this, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So Paul says, listen, we've been adopted into the family of God. And the reason Paul uses the word adoption is twofold. The first reason is to remind us that we weren't always a part of God's family. But left to ourselves, we were enemies of God. That we've rebelled against God and God loved us so much he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins so we could have right relationship with God. Don't ever let that become normal to you. That we've been adopted into God's family when he didn't have to adopt us. But the other reason God uses that term is because adoption was a powerful thing. Under Roman law, did you know that if you had a kid who was driving you nuts, if he was rebellious or if he was just driving you crazy, you could go to the Roman courts and legally disown him? You could be like, I'm done with this kid. He's driving me crazy. He doesn't get my last name anymore. He doesn't get my inheritance. I'm out. And I know some of your parents are like, man, that's a great idea. We should totally like, bring that back. 
Okay, but here's the amazing thing. Under Roman law, that provision was not there for adopted kids. So if you adopted a kid, good, bad, worse, or indifferent, that kid was yours forever. There was no way to say, I don't want you anymore. So when Paul uses the word adoption, it's not just that we're in God's family, but it's that he is never leaving. That he is with you forever and you can't outrun his love and you are with a heavenly father who is faithful, who is good, who is kind, and who is not abandoning you. He's not absent. So listen, hear me clearly. By saying we have a home that isn't broken, I'm not saying that this is a perfect place or this is some kind of utopia. There's going to be times of frustration. There might even be times of hurt. But what I'm saying is, is the reason our home isn't broken is because we have a dad who is good and he's with us and he's working all things together for his glory and our good. Amen? Our home isn't broken. Here's the next thing we need to understand is that our commonality is Jesus Christ. The thing that we have in common is Jesus. This is a famous passage, Acts 4, 32, talking about the new church. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. And no one said that any of the things belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. All right, so here's a question. How could they have everything in common? They had different jobs. They made different amounts of money. They had different names. They they had different size families. What does it mean that they had everything in common? It doesn't mean that they were all clones of one another. But what it meant was they had Jesus in common. And because that was the most important thing, everything else was so minimized, it, it didn't matter. They were able to love each other and get along because they had Jesus in common. Listen, if you love Jesus and he's the person that shapes your life, then you have more in common with those who love Jesus than you do with the people who are just like you but don't love him. Um, One of the things that happens all the time here at this church is that we'll have new believers um, or people give their life to Christ, people meet Jesus for the first time. And this conversation happens almost every time we have new believers. They'll be like, man, I I love the Lord. This has been a life-changing thing. Jesus is so amazing. But one of the things that's difficult is all of my old friends, I don't feel like I have as much in common with them anymore. And the things that I used to live for, the things that I used to run after, the things that used to be so important to me aren't as important. And I'm finding that I even want to be with my small group or the people I know at church, even though I've only known them for a few weeks, because we have Jesus in common. If you've been in small group, you know how awesome this can be. I remember I've been in small groups before where it's like one, one guy was a doctor, one guy was a cop. One was a railroad worker. You had me who was a pastor. Like different walks of life, different tax brackets. Like three or four of guys were like avid hunters and I'm the great indoorsman, right? So we don't have that in common. And it's like on the surface, there's nothing about our lives that we should hold in common, but we have the most important thing in common and that's Jesus. So guess what? We loved each other. We prayed for each other. We encouraged each other. And we grew, like, formed great relationships because we had everything in common because Jesus is everything. Here's the next implication for us that's so important. And this is where it's really going to involve, I think, you. It's this. We need to understand the reality that families grow when we choose to give time to one another, love one another, and serve one another. The way we grow as a family, it's not rocket science, but we have to do what family does and love one another, give time to one another, and serve one another. 
couple months ago, we took 100 people from our church to Israel. And for me, just thinking about traveling with 100 people across the world for 10 days, I was a little nervous about that. I'm like, I don't know all of these people super well. The group doesn't know each other. And going like overseas, dealing with jet lag, traveling, like this has the potential to go really poorly. And I remember even as we left and got in the buses and went to the airport, like there was some nervousness. Like how is this whole thing going to work out? And here's what was amazing. Even as much as being in Israel and being on the Sea of Galilee and being in Jerusalem, the thing that like stuck with me the most was how well our church got along and loved each other. Like by the end, literally on the way back, we got to the Grand Haven campus at like two in the morning and there was like people giving each other hugs and crying and being like, you're my best friend. I'm going to write you every single day. I'm like, this is weird. How did this happen? <laughs> and I started to think like, how does, how does that happen? How do relationships like that form? Well, well, it's simple. We spent a lot of time together over those 10 days. We had meals together. We rode in buses together. We went on tour trips together. We ate at the hotel together. We hung out after dinner together. Like We spent a ton of time, and you get to know about people, and you get to care for them. Um, another like, very, very um, obvious thing um, is we saw each other at less than our best moments. Right? Like When you're traveling with someone across the world, like you can't hide who you really are sometimes. And I remember walking around the Frankfurt airport six hours into our layover and, and seeing, you know, someone from church and I'm like, oh, wow, that's what you look like after an eight-hour overnight plane trip and a six-hour layover. It's not exactly how you look like at church, but that's okay. I love you anyways, right? We kind of got to see each other frustrated sometimes and tired and, and not at this kind of facade that we're so good at putting on, right? And then we served each other hey, are you thirsty? Here, here's some water. Hey, can I help you up these steps? Like, we just looked out for each other. Hey, is everyone in the bus? And, and what we found is, is um, it, it was simple, but there was a love and a bond that grew when we loved, gave time, and served one another. And here's the amazing thing. Um, you know, you can do all of that in small group. When you're at small group, you spend time with one another. You have meals together. You're with each other for uh, uh, two hours every single week. That's a lot of time over the course of a year. You know that you see each other in less than your best moments. If your small group is doing things right, there's honesty and there's transparency and there, there's help in hard places. And also you serve one another and you look out for one another. You need to be in a small group if you're really going to dial in and press in as this family. By God's grace, we have 1,500 adults in small group this fall. And if you're not in that group, you need to be. All the cool kids are doing it, I promise. But whatever I need to say to get you to do it, you have to do it. It's so important. And then the other way this really becomes a family is you need to serve in the church. And uh, speaking of family, um, I want to introduce you to one of our newest members of our church family. Throw up the next picture. Uh, this is baby Sela Billy Swearinga. And um, she's just adorable. And she uh, is um, a newborn baby of a couple in our small group, Mike and Megan Swearinga. And um, Mike and Megan are some of our dearest friends and just close friends. And so this is how this played out. The night before the baby, Selah, was born, uh, Megan texted Mary and said, hey, I'm going into the hospital, going to have the baby tonight. And Mary barely slept that night. And she was praying and she was tossing and turning, but she was like, man, I can't wait to meet this baby. And I had an early meeting the next morning at church, but I got a text from her at 7.30 with a picture. And she's like, the baby is here. And she's like, we have to go to the hospital as soon as you get home to meet the baby. And I'm like, okay, like it's 7.30 in the morning. It's going to be a little bit. You got to calm yourself down. So I come home and she's like already in the car waiting for me. And I'm like, all right, you ready to go? She's like, yes, but we got to go to the store and pick up an outfit first. 
And I'm like, sure, yeah, we can do that. So we went into Grand Haven, and Mary picked out seven outfits. And I was like, no, you get to pick out one. You're going to freak them out. This is weird. And she's like, okay, this is my favorite. And then we went, and we picked them up dinner, and we drove to the hospital. And like, we were so excited to hold that baby and to celebrate with them because we love that family, so we love their children. It's a joy to serve the people you love. So you see where I'm going with this, right? Like whether you serve in children's ministry or you're a greeter or you work in the cafe or you work in the parking lot, is your mentality, man, I love these people because they're God's family and they're my family and God in his um, perfect plan placed me to do life with these people. Or is your mentality, no, this is just something I have to do. Because if church is just a service or something you attend, then, then service is just taking away from you what you want to do. But if you're like, this is my family and this is the people I love and I get the privilege of shaping young minds to love Jesus Christ and these are people who are family, I love that. Or even if it's just smiling and shaking a hand and being kind, I can impact my family, then there's joy in service. If when you think of serving a church, if you think of a task or, or a chore, it's because you're choosing to view it selfishly rather than, oh man, I get to serve people I love because this is God's family. What's your attitude towards service? All right, I want to pivot right now with the time we have left, and I want to talk about, all right, if, so if we're part of a family that's closer than family, what are the implications for our home? Because right, this doesn't just affect here, but this needs to affect my family and my home. So here's the first implication. It's really simple. Our families need to chase after God's best. We need to chase after God's best. So can I ask you a simple question? What is your family chasing after? What are you running after in your day in, day out life? Like how does culture view success? It's all external things, right? What tax bracket are you? How nice is your home? Um, what athletic achievements has your six-year-old achieved already? Um, Right? What school did your kids get into? How are you doing academically? What new toys do you have? It's all external things. Honestly, ask yourself this. What is the goal of your family? Are you chasing after God's best? Because if we believe what Jesus says in Matthew 12, that the closest, dearest family are the people in this world who love Jesus Christ then our family should mirror Jesus' ideal for what the family should be, and that's the family of God. I love this. Proverbs 15, 16, and 17 says, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. And better is dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. And this is what the Proverbs, this is what Solomon is saying, is listen, you can have everything in this world. You can have the right education, you can have the right stuff, you can be successful, but if you don't know the Lord and there's not love with it, you have nothing. What is your family chasing after? Is it the right thing? Parents, look here. If you want to set up your kids for success, you need to teach them what it means to love and serve the family of God. All right, listen, you need to hear this. I love our youth group. And I often tell Taylor, who does such a magnificent job leading our students, I'm so jealous that I didn't grow up with a youth pastor like Taylor and a youth group like our youth group. I love our youth group. But parents, listen, youth group itself is not enough to spiritually form your children. 
There needs to be more. And here's what I would tell you. I've been a youth pastor long enough to know that the kids with real, life-changing, lasting faith are not the ones that just go through the program, but it's the kids whose parents are involved and are teaching their kids to serve the body of Christ. And I love to see this happen at our church. Show this next video. All right, play it one more time because it's quick. Okay, so the kid in the backwards hat is my son Judah, and he is beating a high schooler with a plastic baton over and over and over again. And listen, I'm going to be honest, I'm a little bit concerned about the violence, I'm going to throw that out there, but here's what I love. We had a volunteer appreciation uh, uh, night at the Whitecaps game, and the thing Judah loved the most is that Parker, his uh, church school teacher, who is a high schooler, was there and hung out with him. So he is hitting the head of this high schooler who is also his teacher who Judah loves and was so pumped that he was there and got to see him and that the kid cared about him and spent time with him. You have no idea, young people, how much the children in this church look up to you and how you would make their life if you loved them and served them and showed them who Jesus was. And by the way, you need it. Because if we only do the things we want to do, then we're going to become selfish, myopic people. This is going to be super, super practical, parents. The best thing you could do for your kids today, sign them up to serve in children's ministry as a greeter in the parking lot. Teach them that life does not revolve around them, but we have been called to joyfully serve the Lord and to serve others. What's your house chasing after? What's first place in your home? Okay, here's the next one, and this one's so important. Um, We need to have the right hero in our home, and it's not you. You need to have the right hero, and it's not you. And I want to talk to the men first. And like I said earlier in the message, we have a crisis of fatherlessness here in America. So here's what the church does. When we get our men together, whether at our men's ministry nights or our vertical men rally that we had, we'll say things like, hey, you need to lead your home, men. And you need to do your job and your family's depending on you and you've been called to be the leader and you need to press into that and you need to be present and you need to be available. Now now listen, all of that is true and it is good, but here's my concern. My concern is, is unintentionally what we're telling our men is, here's your mask, here's your cape, you need to go be Superman, you need to go be the hero of your home. Okay, so let me correct this a little bit. We need to be available, we need to be present, but listen men, look here. This is what your family needs. Your family does not need you to be Jesus. They need you to need Jesus. Do you understand the difference? They don't need you to be Jesus. They need you to be humble and be desperate for your Savior. That the same Savior that you're calling them to love and serve, they need to see in your life that you are desperate for him that you need him, that you're not living life on your own strength, but you're relying on Jesus Christ who can provide only what you need. And you know what that's going to look like if you're doing it well? That means you're going to ask for forgiveness from your family a lot. Right? Isn't the very tenet of the gospel that we are sinners saved by grace, so we need to have the humility to say we blew it when we sin against them? Any perfect dads in the room? If anyone raises their hand, I don't want to be in your family, right? A couple weeks ago, it was a Wednesday, and I had an elders meeting at 6.30 in the morning. And I'm not a morning person. I'm just going to throw that out there. So when the alarm clock goes off and there's a five on it, it's a bad day for me. 
All right, and my problem is, is I'm not even an evening person, right? I'm really, really good from 10 to 2, right? I've got this 10 to 2 window where I'm locked in. Outside of that is super hit or miss. So, so I'm up early. I have a long day at work, and, and my three-year-old son, Judah, when I get home, it's like 5.30 at night. When I get home, he's so excited to see me that the best thing he knows how to do is literally take his shirt off, start swinging it around his head, and screaming at the top of his lungs, and I'm like, I'm so tired. I, I, don't, I can't engage with this. So I was like, Judah, you need to go downstairs and you need to calm down. Dad's really tired and I don't have the patience for this. So Judah's like, where'd that come from? And he goes downstairs and like, you know how the Lord works? Like as soon as those words come out of your mouth, like the Holy Spirit starts working on your heart. I was like, you're a moron. <laughs> like why? Like your son did nothing wrong. He was just excited to see you. And I understand you're tired, but get over yourself. It's not about you. You need to love and serve your family. So I'm like, man, I blew it. So I went down and Judah's sitting on the couch and I sit by Judah. I'm like, hey, Judah, um, I'm really, really sorry for how I just responded to you. And um, you did nothing wrong. I, I, I love how excited you are. Dad was just tired, but that's no excuse. He responded very, very grumpy. Will you forgive me? And I'm like, and he said, yeah, sure, I forgive you. And I'm like, listen, here's the amazing thing. Um, Jesus is never grumpy with us. And he's always just excited to be with us as we are with him. And he's not like dad who's moody sometimes. So again, would you forgive me? And he says, yeah. And he goes, hey, dad, you know what? And I said, what, son? He goes, I'm a dinosaur. <laughs> and I was like, awesome. I'm glad we had this meaningful conversation. I'm just going to go walk around the block and reassess how life is going right now. Right? But listen, even our three-year-olds need to hear dad be humble and say we need Jesus. You would be so saddened to know how many high schoolers have never heard their dad say sorry. They don't need you to be Jesus. They need you to need Jesus. All right, moms, you're next. And this is going to be a hard word for you. But moms, you need to believe that your kids need Jesus more than they need you. Right? And that's hard to hear, right? Because as soon as that baby is born, it's like, all right, I've got to keep this kid alive and, and I've got to feed the kid and I've got to bathe the kid and I've got to change the kid. And even as they grow up, it's like I've got to get groceries and I've got to make meals and I've got to drive them to, to soccer games and to friends' houses and school. And, and you're, it's a full-time job just keeping these kids functional and alive. And it's easy to believe the lie that all my kids need is me. And it's my job to protect, my job to care. My kids just need me. What your kids need most is to know and love their creator. And only Jesus can provide that for them. And he willingly did it by dying on the cross. Your kids need Jesus more than they need you, mom. So moms, your job is as you care for them and as you protect them and provide for them and love them, you need to be pointing them to the one their souls ultimately need. Can't be the hero of your home. All right, and here's the, the final one. Um, your family dynamics cannot determine your joy. Your family dynamics cannot determine your joy or your willingness to be used by God. And this is hard, right? Because there's very few things in life that are more painful than broken family relationships. And again, I've been a youth pastor long enough where I've sat in the room with moms and dads who are in tears because their 17-year-old or 18-year-old son is rebellious and has walked away. I want nothing to do with you. I want nothing to do with your family. I want nothing to do with God. I'm going to go live with my friends and do my own thing and you can't stop me. 
And I've sat there with them, and I've cried with them, and I've tried to encourage them, and it is gut-wrenching. But here's what I try to advise them in those moments is, listen, um, we're going to pray like crazy for your son, and we're going to do everything in our power to be gracious and to be kind and extend an olive branch to rebuild relationship. But listen, then we're going to entrust that son to the Lord who loves him more than we do, And we're going to trust that God has a plan that we can't see yet, but we know that he is good and he's faithful. So here's what I'm saying. If there's a broken relationship in your family, don't let that sideline you from loving and serving and being a part of the family of faith. Don't be, have the first thought in your mind when you wake up, is that broken relationship. Don't let it rob you of everything else that God would have for you because this one thing is broken. We're going to do what we can. We're going to trust the Lord. But then God has given us a family that isn't broken, that we can love and pour our time into and serve. Maybe you're an empty nester and you're like, this has been a weird transition for us because so much of our life revolved around our kids. And now what do we do? Well, listen, you have another family that you can press into and love and serve. Here's a very simple question. What's your dream for your family? What's your dream for your family? Because if your dream for your family is simply that you have a tight-knit family, right? I'm going to be best friends with my kids, and we're going to do family vacations together, and I'm going to enjoy my grandkids, and all of the holidays we're going to be together, and we're just going to be tight, If that's the greatest dream for your family, that's a shallow dream because ultimately it's selfish and it just revolves around you guys. What God's word is saying and what I'm pleading with you to do is marry the dreams for your family with Jesus' dreams for your family and have your family be a blessing to God's family that we're going to love and serve and press into the family of faith together and then we're working for an eternal reward that's going to last way longer than just our individual lives. What's the dream for your family? All right, here's what I want you to do as we wrap up. Go turn in your Bibles to Galatians 6. I usually put stuff on the screen unless it's really, really important. And this is really important, so I want you to turn because I want you to see these verses in Galatians 6. Galatians 6, starting at verse 7. I think this kind of wraps up beautifully everything that God is saying to us right now. It says this, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap, right? That's a famous passage, we've heard that before. But then he goes on, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. All right, look here. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Okay, he's saying, listen, do not grow weary of doing good. God will be faithful. God will bless you in due season. You will reap if you do not give up. And listen, I understand it's fall, right? And a lot of us are jumping into school next week and we're jumping back into small groups and it's easy to be motivated in the fall, right? Like you wake up in the morning and there's that nice little uh, chill in the air. And it's like, oh man, isn't that one week of fall going to be amazing before the seven months of winter? It's going to be awesome. I'm so pumped for it. (laughs) But it's not about starting well that I'm concerned with. It's about finishing well and not giving up. 
And you might be here right now, you're like, you know what, I'm going to jump into small group, and I'm going to serve, and I'm going to be faithful, and I'm going to press into what God has for me. All right, but it might be in a week or in a month or in February when you haven't seen the sun for six weeks, and you're going to be tired. And you're going to say, you know what, I've had a long week of school. I don't want to go to high school youth group tonight. I don't want to press into God's family. I don't want to love and serve my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm just too busy. Or you're be like, you know what, um, I, I, I'm done with small group. It's too hard. God, God's not moving fast enough. There's some weirdos in my group that I'm struggling to connect with. I'm just going to punt on the whole thing. Or you're like, you know what, I just, I don't want to follow the Lord in this area of my life anymore. Listen, following the Lord isn't easy. And so I'm going to stop coming to church. I'm going to stop coming to small group. Uh, or I'm not going to be honest with where my heart is really at. And what Paul is saying is, listen, do not grow weary. Don't give up. Do not grow weary in doing good. For in due season, you will reap. God will be faithful. And then look how he closes in verse 10. This is amazing. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are in the household of faith. So he's saying, how do you not give up? How do you press on even when you're tired? It's not by shrinking into selfishness, but it's by doing good and loving and serving to everyone you have an opportunity to, but especially the family of God. You see, what Paul knows is that we need each other. We need to love and serve one another so we remind ourselves that the world doesn't revolve around us. And we need the love and service of others because there are times when it's hard and we're tired. Do not grow weary in doing good, for in due season you will reap, and we have a God who perfectly keeps his promises. So here's my question for you as we close. Is this your family? This is just a place you attend or a service you go to and you like the music and you're motivated by the preaching, but that's it for you? You're walking in a lane that is less than what God would have for you. You need a family and we're not perfect, but we're not broken because we have a perfect and reigning king. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm just so... Um, I'm just so blown away that you would adopt us into your family and all of the richness of that word, what it means that you will never leave us, you will never forsake us, that we can't outrun your love and your mercy and your grace. Let that be new and let that be fresh for us even right now. And God, we do not have to be strangers to you. We don't have to be slaves to sin. We don't have to be slaves to fear. But you have brought us into your family. You have called us your children. And you have given us a job to do. And that is to love and to serve and build up the family of God. God, you have said in your word that we are a light on a hill. And that by how we love one another, people are going to see that you are good and you are real and you are worthy of following. Let us live up to that great call. So if it's jumping into service for the first time or taking that risk to step up into small group or if it's even just saying, I'm not going to give up today. I'm not going to grow weary. I'm going to be faithful because I trust your promises. Would you call us? Would you allow us to press in to this family in greater ways? We love you. It's in your precious son's name we pray these things.